the Easter season brings a convergent of ideas into our mind, maybe like a, a crowded intersection. Some of the memes that you typically see, or maybe most of the memes that you see on social media have something to do with the word indeed as we celebrate the resurrection. And that is, that's worth celebrating, obviously, duh. But also, I mean, the resurrection is a, a mixture. Is It is a mixture of life and death. And so there is a other side to the resurrection, too. And it's that there has to be a death before they can be a resurrection. And that is a picture of the Christian life at salvation. When we die to ourselves and give our, our lives to Christ, we we begin the process of moving from our former manner of life to this new creation that God offers. And it happens completely and instantaneously from a positional justified perspective. As soon as God regenerates us, we are 100% born again. We are 100% justified or declared not guilty. We are positionally, definitively, we have sanctification. And all of that's true. But then there is also the aspect of the continual putting away of our former manner of life and our continual renewing of our minds. As someone said, the Christian life is repentance and ongoing repenting. And so there is the fullness of regeneration that gives us everything that we need to live a life of godliness. And there is no backtracking. There is no going back to the former manner of life in the sense that we are eternally secure. But there is also that daily dying to self. And so in this podcast, as we talk about Easter, the Easter season, I want to give you quality resources over these few days because the Easter season is is when we think about it the most, the resurrection, I would imagine it's the happy time for the Christian. But I want to cover this season fully. And so there is another aspect. And that's why I titled this podcast to live the resurrected life. You must die to yourself. Welcome to the podcast. This is Life Over Coffee. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for being here. Please make sure that you subscribe to the Life Over Coffee podcast on whatever platform that you listen to this, that you're listening to this podcast or the platform that you want to listen to this podcast. And if you go out on one of those platforms and you don't find Life Over Coffee, please contact our office and let us know and we will work to get it on that platform to make sure that you can listen to it where you want to listen to it. Someone did that a couple of years ago. They said, hey, how come you're not on, I think it was Spotify or maybe Podbean, I don't remember. And we promptly put ourselves out there because we can do that, at least right now, before we all get totally censored. And so please uh, listen to us on your platform. Let us know if we're not on your platform, and we want to be there. And then if you would take the time to 
write a review of this podcast and give us a nice rating if you like it. And if you don't like it, please write our office and let us know because I do want to know. I want to hear how can we make this better. And so please let us know that too, but please give us a good rating if you do enjoy the podcast because that allows us to reach more people. It's it's the cyber tech internet way of evangelizing. Uh, it is it, it is a productive and redemptive way to reach people and we can use the algorithms to reach out to people and you can help through good ratings and and um, writing good reviews and letting other people know about the podcast. It's a phenomenal thing and I do praise God in that way for technology. There's a lot of there's a lot to not praise God about, but I do appreciate the redemptive use of technology a lot. And so if you want to read this podcast, this is an article, not one of our Life Over Coffee episodes. And so it's a full-blown article, and there's no, uh, our episodes are more like skeletal outline bullet points. But the articles are not in the Life Over Coffee series, and so if you want to read this article, I would encourage you to do so, and you may want to use this one as a homework assignment, as a life project for you personally, or maybe for someone that you are serving. I want to talk, I'm going to talk a lot about suffering. I'm going to talk about that that death crawl uh, out of the crucible of suffering. I'll share some personal stories with you as well. But I am well aware. I, I'm, I'm aware of this every holiday season, whether it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, or Easter. Those are the three big ones where I am aware that these are not happy times for everybody. I, I was reminded of that several times this week on our forums where people have written in and one forum post is I'm just I'm I'm just at the end of my rope and it was very sad and they were reaching out which I was very glad that they were reaching out but they were very sad and so I'm well aware that the yes he's risen indeed is appropriate it is factual it's real and it's authentic to many of you but there are others that are making that death crawl out of the crucible of suffering. And they, they still feel more, and maybe not just feel, but practically and functionally, they're more in the tomb than out of the tomb. And so I want to acknowledge them and let them know that I love them, we love you, and, and we want to serve you. And so this article will take, take that angle of the Easter season. And it's important for us to know that the more appropriately that you and I, I mean, the more effectively that you and I appropriate the death of Christ into our lives, the more effectively we'll be able to enjoy a resurrection kind of Sunday. But not just on Sunday, every day of the year. The key is knowing that your resurrection will only come after your death. And it is a daily process. I die daily, and we must do that. And for some, it's more acute. It's more intense. There are spikes in our lives where the, the everyday suffering that we go through, the everyday disappointments that we go through, they, they spike 
and they are intense, and sometimes they can stay intense for a long season. But what we have to learn, and I trust that this article that I'm sharing with you will benefit you, it will encourage you as you explore this idea of of dying daily. One of the instructive things about Easter Sunday, and I do not intend to take away from that day in any way. I, I don't want to take away from that day when I make this statement, but one of the instructive things about Easter Sunday is how Similar it is to every other day of the Christian experience. Now, without question, the Easter season gives us an appropriate emotional bump. He's free. He's risen indeed. But honestly, this season is like looking at a field full of beautiful flowers, noticing one standing a petal or two higher than the rest. Now, this perspective is not a new reflective thought for me, but it's just part of my ongoing awareness of what it's like to experience the resurrection goodness of God every day of my life. And I trust it's that way for you. Yes, Easter Sunday is the petal, is the flower that rises a petal or two higher than a field of flowers. Easter Sunday is not the resurrection anyhow, as far as the actual date. It's a subjective date on the calendar that we chose to celebrate that historical event. Easter Sunday is more about a reminder of how the resurrection should be the driving theme of all of our waking hours. Easter Sunday in that way is like the communion. I mean, we're not eating his body. We're not drinking his blood, but we are reminding ourselves of his death. And so I don't want to take away from Easter. I don't. I'm not downgrading it at all, but putting it in the right framework and and not just the right framework of this season as a reminder of an actual event, But I want to expand it, that we remind ourselves and we live in the goodness of the resurrection every day of our lives. These critical reminders that we Christians have, like Christmas. Christmas is like that too. It's not the actual day. But again, it's those reminders. And you want those. You want those markers in your day, whether it's Christmas or communion or Easter or daily Bible reading, or daily prayer, or praying without ceasing. We always want to be speaking, preaching, teaching the gospel into our lives every day because it will help us to have a more transformative experience with God. And so Easter reminds me, it reminds me of what my daughter said to me when she was five years old. I mean, she really nailed it. Here it is. Daddy! Every day with God is full of surprises. That's what Tristan said when she was five. Her remark was one of those things children say that you you want to keep in your quote worth requoting memory bank. Every parent has those. That, that thing that child said, the child probably won't remember it. I can't remember if I've had this conversation. I've had this conversation with Tristan, but I can't remember what she said, if she even remembers it. If she re- Actually, I, I re- she doesn't remember making the quote, 
but she remembers the quote because I've reminded her <laughs> of it several times because it really it really struck me. I kept that one. And you have those two, those wonderful memories. I love this one. Daddy, every day with God is full of surprises. Sometimes the simplicity of kids speak can hit the nail on the head in such a way that their words become transcendent truth you never want to forget. C.S. Lewis was getting at this full of surprises notion in his Narnia books where he talked about it always being winter and never Christmas. Then Aslan made his move and winter was no more. Every day of the Christian life should, should be like Christmas not winter. But that is not always how it is. That's not, that's not always how it goes for God's redeemed. I have had long extended winters of the soul where there were no other seasons to anticipate or enjoy. Days of formidable darkness as I stood on the edge of time staring into nothingness and I, I remember those days and I remember talking exactly like that when people would talk to me about what was going on and what was it like from my perspective I used to say that I it's like standing on the edge of time and you're just looking out and you're looking out into nothing and every future day looks exactly like the last day. And that's what it's like when you're in the crucible, formidable darkness. Those were sad moments spent pondering tomorrow while knowing tomorrow would be more of the same. Personal suffering is like a prisoner imprisoned without bars or a windowless room. You, you may look and act like everyone else, hiding in plain sight, but you know it's not true as you isolate yourself in your private prison. When the heavy hand of disappointment presses down on your soul, it's all you can do to crawl along into the next day, which looks the same as the last day. And that's how it was for me for over nine years. I shuffled through the crucible of suffering, eventually, eventually, coming out on the other end, never to, be, never, never to be the same again. And I do mean that in a positive way as far as never being the same again. I mean, for some, they, they're never the same again, but they're bitter. They're angry. Uh, my mother was like that. She, she was bitter and angry. Mostly low level. I mean, if you poked her, I mean, as in talk to her about it, you would see it. But she lived that way for the rest of her life after uh, her son, her second son, was murdered in 1997. And my mother died in 2013. And so she lived those 16 years, maybe. She lived those 16 years bitter because of what happened. And I do understand uh, but she had a hard time process, processing that crucible. As you might can imagine, it's hard to process. Even as a brother, it was hard to process. But mercifully, I was able to process it in a different way uh, than my mother. Uh, 
And so when you go through the crucible of suffering and as you shuffle through and eventually come out on the other end, hopefully you aren't the same again in a very positive way. But during those sad days of my eternal winter, the Lord was rehabbing rehabbing my soul by introducing me to the other side of the Son of God. You see, I knew and I appreciated the saving Jesus, but I did not understand or appreciate the suffering of Jesus. That other side of Jesus never comes into full view until you walk with him for a while. I never saw that Jesus coming my way. And honestly, I wrote an article as part of my Suffering Well book that you're welcome to get and read. But there's a chapter in that book talked about being blindsided while doing good. And I was blindsided while doing good. And what I mean by that is that God regenerated me and even later, I, a few years later, two, two and a half years, something like that, I was in Bible college, and then uh, the year after that, toward the end of my sophomore year, my wife left for another man, and I, it, we weren't getting along. We were having a, a rough go at marriage, but there was also this aspect of we were doing good as well, or I thought we were doing good. I was in Bible college and hoping to be a pastor someday, and learning God's word in, in an intense way. We were serving in the nursing home, preaching every Sunday and doing all sorts of things, but it, it was complicated. But I was doing good, thought we were doing good, and then boom, we're not doing good. And that, when you get knocked down that way, uh, it's hard to get up. And I didn't see it. I didn't have sovereign clarity at the time. No, I was drowning in this law of despond. I was, I was sinking fast. And I didn't understand that there was another aspect to the Christian life. That God, he allows you to, he introduces you to salvation. And salvation is, is great. And, and, and we, we're praising God. He's, He's risen indeed. But suffering was an unwanted antagonist to my soul. It never occurred to me that the Lord had two gifts under Adam's tree. Paul said it this way in Philippians 1.29. He said, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, that's gift number one, salvation, but also suffer for his sake. Now that verse is laying right there on top of scripture. It's not buried. It's just right there. Go to Philippians chapter one and you see the two gifts for it has been granted to you, podcast listener. It has been granted to me, podcast speaker. That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. After Peter came out of his crucible, he began to write about this unwanted second blessing. He said it this way in 1 Peter 2.21. Peter said, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you 
leaving you in an example so that you might follow in his steps. Many of you know, some of you don't. I mean, back in the 90s, there was this fad Christians. We Christians, we love our fads too. And the fad was WWJD, what would Jesus do? And people wore them bracelets and had t-shirts and hats and so forth and so on. I imagine you can go somewhere to a third world country and find a lot of them bracelets, hats, and t-shirts today. I'm sure they're, they're still alive. But that, that, that idea of WWJD came right out of this verse, First Peter 2.21. And it came from a book called In His Steps, I think written by Charles Sheldon, maybe. Uh, Sheldon, I think, is the last name. I'm not sure if it's Charles, and it was written around, you know, say, the 1920s. But anyway, somebody popularized it. They resurfaced this idea, wrote a book, or followed the, took the WWJD language from In His Steps, the title of that book, and made bracelets, and hopefully they made millions, praise God. I hope they did. But I've always thought it was interesting, and I, I wondered if people really understood what WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, according to First Peter, I mean, you walk in, in his steps, Christ has called you to suffer. It's more than a fad. It's more than a bracelet that we put on our wrist. No, this is something that's wildly different from that. You see, I wanted the best parts of Jesus, not the dark side of Christ that smelled like death taking up a cross. It was the consideration of the other side of the Son of Man that compelled me to draw back and shrink from my call to suffer. I was counseling a lady one time, marriage counseling, her and her husband were there and and I talked to her, I was talking to her about some of these things, and she told me plainly, I'm not interested in that. I want my husband to love me. I understand. I mean, I didn't hit her over the head with anything. It's like, I get it too. Imitating Jesus through suffering put me at a crossroads. What will it be? My will or his will? And Jesus went through the same thing, and in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Father, take this cup from me, not my will, your will. And even though I knew God loved me because I chose to place my confidence in his redemptive work, it began to dawn on me that the paraphernalia of being a Christian, it, it required a cross. To walk, with, to walk with God requires a cross. That's part of the paraphernalia. And I'm not talking about a bracelet on the wrist or a piece of jewelry hanging around the neck. No, I'm talking about a wooden cross. I'm talking about Adam's tree. Peter warned us not to think it a strange thing when life dials up the fires of trying times. You read that in 1 Peter 4.12. You see an illustration of that in Daniel 3.19. Whatever has happened to you, whatever is happening, to you is happening because you told the Lord that you wanted to follow his son in his steps, first Peter. And you're hoping that you were hoping that he would transform you into his image. You see, the entry point for Christ's likeness is salvation. 
That's the door. That's the entry point to this great request that we have of God. Change me, O Lord. The entry point is salvation, but the process of working out that salvation is suffering. We call it progressive sanctification, but a more fitting descriptor may be a process of progressively dying until the Lord conforms us into Christ's likeness. John said it this way in 1 John 3, 1. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. I want you to behold God's love right now. Look at it. He's saying, will you see the kind of love that the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God and so we are? God's kind of love is more surgical than you ever imagined. He knows every thought. He knows every intention of our hearts. There is no stoppage to his searching and probing and magnifying and examining every microscopic inch of our naked souls to make us like his son. The text I'm referring to now is Hebrews 4.13 where the writer said, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God's manner of love is more surgical than you ever imagined. That kind of love is what we signed up for at salvation. The more effectively you appropriate the death of Christ into your life, the more effectively you'll be able to enjoy a resurrection kind of Sunday every day of the year. And you will know, here's the litmus test, you will know the degree to which you have applied the death of Christ to your life by the level of gratitude you have for all the people and all the the events the good Lord writes into your narrative You remember hearing the gratitude of Joseph in 5020? You remember what Joseph said in 5020? He says, as for you, talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You will know the degree to which you have applied the death of Christ to your life by the level of gratitude you have for all the people, for all the events, the good Lord writes into your life. It may be a better way of saying that. It's not gratitude for the people for what they did, but gratitude for the, to the Lord for what he has written into your narrative to give you exactly what you asked for at salvation. Change me. Paul said straightforwardly in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Gratitude is one of the quickest and most effective tests of our Christian maturity. It is the will of God for us. It is the litmus test that lets us know which mile marker we are at on the road of progressive suffering, or maybe 
progressive sanctification. The title of this podcast is To Live the Resurrected Life You Must Die to Yourself. Here's a couple of questions that I would like for you to think about. Number one, how would you describe your progress on the journey? What mile marker are you? Are you stuck in bitterness? Now, I am not condemning you or criticizing you. I'm not kicking you while you're down. You're down. But but where are you? I mean, just where are you? Don't feel added shame or guilt because you can't say with authentic joy, he's risen indeed, as many will say tomorrow. And I'm not mocking them or making fun of them at all. But I'm just, I'm stating that some of us, it will be hard to say that with functional, practical, authentic, applicable reality that's transforming me in the moment because you're down. So I'm just asking, how would you describe your progress on the journey of progressive suffering? Number two, what weights or what sins hinder you? Those are two different questions. It could be sin. It could be a weight. What weights or sins hinder you from being conformed to the death of Christ? If you would like to talk to us, as several have this week, would you consider coming to our free community forums and just sharing your questions? If you are a supporting member, go to the private side. Either way, let's talk. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.